Hello everybody, welcome to the future. I'm your host Chris Doe, and today just dropping in from Richmond, Virginia is longtime friend Ben Burns. Hey everyone, great to be here. And in the hot seat is returning guest, my business coach for over a decade, Kier McLaren. Hey guys, good morning. So on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about cultivating creative culture. Last time Kier was here, we were talking about how to innovate, how to jump the curve, if you will, so that you don't fall into becoming irrelevant. And somebody on Twitter hit me up and said, what if I'm in a company? How can I be a part of change in cultivating a creative culture? Or what if I'm the owner? What can I do? And are there practical things that we can do? What most people don't know is that Kier and I have created a company together. We've joined forces, combined our resources, to help coach and teach companies, especially creative ones, how to thrive in the 21st century. How do you retain, how do you attract the top tier talent, especially if you don't have the budget of a Google or one of these well-funded tech startups? What are the tangible benefits when you align your core values to that of your company culture and one that helps your people to grow and to thrive? On the flip side, are there negative consequences to not having a creative culture? So Kier, how do we want to start this conversation? Well, I think that the basic, the basis of all change is whatever the, you know is based on your company culture, and I don't think a lot of companies kind of think about that. They all have one, but I'm not sure they've really considered it. And I remember a number of years ago when when we were talking, and you had sort of met through books and other ways, Tony Shea and Zappos, and you said to me. And he wrote a great book about it, and he had a list of 10 things that his culture was built on. Wait, I got to tell the people the story. What Kier um, uh, didn't mention is, uh, as the owner and founder of Blind, running this company for a number of years, we had grown, and we had kind of grown in a very unmanaged way. And this is kind of prior to me actually even meeting you, right, Kier? And we, we attracted uh, really amazing creative human beings. And I let creativity be my guiding force. I wanted to hire the best people I could find and people that didn't necessarily share my same values or beliefs, but they were really good. And something started to happen. The, the company culture was unmanaged, and I got to a point in which I wasn't happy to show up to work anymore. It was one of these weird things, and you guys are going to be scratching your head like, how could the owner founder of a company not be happy to show up to work? And so Kier gave me this assignment. He says, you know what? Um, we need to look at hiring people that share your values. So what, what's important to you? Like, what do you like? What do you believe in? And we need to hire people around that. So go away and write your, what your core values are. And with his help, I wrote and I tried and we kept trying and it just wasn't coming out. It's one of those things where, and you guys know, cause I've talked about this before. It's a very difficult thing to know yourself. And I think that's why consultants and outside people exist to help you learn about yourself why therapists coaches exist and it just so happens that I ran into one of my neighbors and my neighbor said Chris you got to read this book An amazing guy came and spoke at our entrepreneurs organization his name is Tony Shea you're gonna really like him super dynamic guy he's the founder of Zappos a billion dollar company was sold to Amazon so I go and see Tony speak and, and what he said really connected with me as a human being. The big kicker is this. Zappos, as a shoe company, has very low margins. And Tony was able to make some changes to his company culture that didn't require the bankroll of a Google. We we're not talking about having masseuses and personal chefs and cafeterias and everything's comped and dry cleaning and baby service. He's talking about very small but impactful changes to help people feel creative, help people feel like they belong to a team. And that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to read this guy's book. And it did indeed change my life. And the first thing I did was at the back of the book or somewhere in there, he said, here are Zappos's core values. <clears throat> and his core values were really brilliant. So the I, all I did was I copied them. I'm not that creative. He, he, you know, where do you go to school? He went to Harvard. So, you know, I went to art center with my kind of pathetic design degree. I just copied the guy's 
thing, except for I changed a couple of things because they were very service oriented and there was a couple of things that didn't pair. And so what you see on our site came from Zappos. And so right. that's the story here. And that's when we started right. to really work on our company culture. The thing about company cultures are, you know, the, the good and the bad news is you have one whether you know it or not. Right. And when I walk into a company, as I was saying earlier, I can kind of tell whether the company cultures, especially in creative companies, is positive or negative. I mean, are people smiling? Do people actually say hello to me? You know, and that, that, that whole sort of thing. Uh, bosses really have a lot of times the, the worst point of view about their own company culture. Just to give you an example, like how do you know if your company culture is good or bad? Well, my experience is most bosses, when I ask them, are you open to change and open to hearing things from your, you know, your staff? And they'll go, absolutely. Everybody knows I'm the most open guy in the world. And then I'll either go to a meeting and here's how the meeting goes. The boss says, okay, we need a new idea here on this thing and that thing. And someone raises their hand in about, you know, two sentences and he goes, no, no, we're not going to do that. Okay. Anyone else have any ideas? <laughs> and so by the time I go to the third meeting, nobody speaks whatsoever. Mm. And the other thing is that I say to bosses and owners particularly is, if you're open, tell me how many times in the last month someone came in, into your office, closed the door and said, boss, I've got a real concern about what we're doing here and I've got some ideas. And they'll go, well, no, no one ever came in. <laughs> I'll say, well, then maybe, maybe you're not as open about all this as you think. And, and I think for company cultures to work well, especially in the age of millennials you know you have to be open you have to be a little bit more collaborative and you have to understand I, I can tell you and those of you watching who I've worked with will will attest to this the boss usually knows the least about what goes on every day in his or her own company than, than the employees bosses really don't know they think they know but they don't know with a different culture like the one that Chris created at Blind you know, then you know, you know the good, you know the bad, because people will bring it up and they'll, they'll discuss it with you and it gives you a chance to improve. Your culture has to be congruent. If you're the owner, if I'm talking to an owner, it has to be congruent with your values. And I'll give you an example, I'll let someone else talk. I used to have a marketing and advertising business and I did restaurants for a while, I, I worked with them. And you ever, I, always, I noticed this and it always amazed me. If all the waitresses are tall, slender, brown-haired girls, women, one should say, today's my daughter would tell me, when I meet the person's wife, guess what? They're tall, slender, dark-haired women. People hire people they're comfortable with. People like working with people they're comfortable with. The problem in the creative world is that some creatives believe that they you know, have a right to be grumpy, that somehow they've earned that right to be difficult. And Chris had some of those kinds of people who shall remain nameless. And those were people that eventually moved on and they were replaced with people at least as creative but people who shared his culture his way of doing business his way of talking to to other people is that is that enough yeah you mentioned <laughs> something about millennials have you done some research because i'm obviously not a millennial are there things that yeah. you want to talk yeah, about millennials you know basically first of all they're making up more and more most of the of the creative businesses uh, that I work with and the Chris and businesses like Chris's and I've worked for music companies and lots of different kinds of companies the audience the, the the revenues are generated by the advertising business so whether you're doing broadcast television I've got clients who do a lot of work for people like the NFL you know they get paid because the NFL is able to sell ads and in Chris's business it's pretty direct because you're working for advertising agencies for the most part and millennials who now make up a big part of the audience as well as the workforce they basically do not watch television they do not get information that way and they're not very susceptible to what I would call traditional advertising that doesn't mean that you know we all have to throw up our hands in frustration and close the business down but we we have to adjust the other thing about millennials is they like to have direction they like to collaborate but they like to have someone make up the mind about what the direction is going to be and they do like to collaborate but these are the these are the young people that you know we all joke about it you know everyone on the little league team gets a trophy you know these are the the children that are products of daycare and helicopter parents you know so they're they're a little bit different they for I just heard on the way up here on Heidi and Frank, which is a big I know radio those two show. Guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, they added Frosty back in. Oh, he's back. Yeah, but it was basically saying that millennials are affecting the marketplace because they, they're not big consumers. 
They don't consume as much. They're not buying houses as much. They're just not spending money. They would prefer to talk to their friends about a vacation that they spent money on in Portugal, for example, than the fact that they just bought a Mercedes. So they're just not consuming at the same level as the predecessors in the same age groups did. And so they need managed a little different. I think I'll tell the story about incentives. Remember our incentives? Sure. So, so at one point, Chris and I decided that we wanted to, I must say this in his behalf, he's always paid his people very well. And we wanted to incentivize the creatives, okay? So we decided to do that, and we did, and it worked. And, and the, the creatives made a lot more money because they'd earned it. And so then we had a brilliant idea, we will incentivize the animators and the designers who tended to be a little bit younger. And we did, and they completely rebelled. So we had a meeting. We felt like, well, what is the problem? I mean, we're going to give you more money. And they said, we don't want more money. And I said, well, what, what would make you happy? What, what could we do to show our appreciation? And they said, we'd like to have pizza parties and go bowling once a month. Who knew? So that's what we did, remember? Yeah. And it worked. That's yep. what they wanted because they didn't really have the, uh, they didn't care as much about money as our older people who were, the, you know, the head creative directors and such. Right. So you know who talks about this a lot is Mr. Simon Sinek, and he talks about how if he goes into a room and he says, you know, I just donated $1,000 to a charity. Yeah, well, good for you. What do you want? A gold medal for that? But if he told you, like, you know, I spent yesterday all day packing lunches and feeding the poor, all of a sudden you feel like, you know what, I better step up my game. And it's because there's we put a premium on time and energy. And so in the case of me incentivizing the staff with money, which is a renewable resource, I can make more of it, but the one resource that you can't get more of is your time. So really they wanted time and, and energy spent together. Right. That's why when you, when you write a handwritten note versus an email, it's more valuable. When you pick up the phone to call somebody and talk to them to say thank you, that's better as well. And better yet is to walk into the room and have a face-to-face -face and tell somebody that you appreciate what they're doing. Uh, yesterday I was walking out the door uh, with Aaron going to lunch as we always do. I said to John, our office manager, hey, I just want to let you know I appreciate you. And he's like, am I getting fired? What's going on? Is this my last day? Do I pack my bags? I said, no, that's it. And he got all weirded out because I said, I appreciate you. And that was it. And so I said, no, we're all good. Well, fine, you suck then. Just go back to normal and everything's fine. He's like, I feel much better now. just about this idea that people put a premium on your time and your energy. To give this conversation a little bit of structure, I want to talk about a little bit about what, what's the downside of not having core values or a culture that people can get behind and be involved and feel like you're taking care of them. So I made a little list here, you guys. So let's talk about this. Here's the number one thing I think is going to be an issue, especially if your company, I don't know if you're 50 employees or 500 or 5,000, this is gonna be true, is that you're gonna have high turnover. People are gonna feel burnt out. They're gonna be looking for another job. And it's very expensive in terms of time and resources to interview people, to find people again, to train them into the way you work, only to have them quit on you in a few months time. And that's a very clear indicator as to something is wrong with a company culture. Another thing that you may not be aware of as a company owner is that people start doing uh, what we, would, we joke around as the side hustle. It's the job after the job. So you're now kind of having a really creative, powerful, and sometimes very expensive staff show up to work only not to really show up to work. So then what they do is they give you whatever they need to do, fly under the radar, and then they leave at six, seven o'clock and go home and do what they're really passionate about. Isn't there something that we can do to channel their creativity, their energy into doing a great job and feeling a sense of fulfillment while doing the work? So a couple other things come out of this. You get into a space where if it's a very progress, uh, I'm sorry, oppressive environment, people feel dehumanized. They feel that they're just easily replaced. And so they start thinking about their next moves. They start thinking about their own self-interest. What's in it for me? Or when Jimmy and I make a mistake, I'm throwing Jimmy under the bus. So then this is the fracturing of teams and it's a very toxic way to work. And one of the reasons why I was going mad with my own company. There was so much conflict and tension, like I could just walk into the room and it's a palpable feeling 
that there's just going to be a fight and who am I going to fight with today or who's going to fight with who and I have to p play referee and coach and break things up. And it's a horrible place to be in. Kerry, is there anything that I'm missing that you, you can think of? No, I think the other thing you missed is the synergy. Um, before I came to California, I worked for a company in York, PA called the Wolf Organization, and uh, one of the three partners, it was the second oldest family-owned company in America. They were founded in the 1840s and had been in, in the family you know, for all those years. And they, they were in the uh, lumber business. They had 33 stores in the five mid-Atlantic states, and they had a couple big wholesale operations. And I learned so much from these people. In fact, one of them, Tom Wolf, is now the governor of Pennsylvania. Done pretty well. Uh, pretty good man. Pennsylvania's lucky to have them. I was there for a plug from a Democrat. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that they did, they had all the managers in these five states, regardless of the weather, came to the main headquarters in York once a month, and they had a, a, an all-day meeting, and they solved problems. They did a lot of things. But what I learned from them is uh, they were willing to hear opinions from everybody down to the person who swept the floor. And, in fact, the, one of the people who swept the floor came up with a good idea that reduced their... Uh, slip and falls which are big if you're in retail business because a lot of their buildings were old and had multiple levels you know they weren't many steps but they were little steps and a lot of people try to defraud companies by claiming they fell and what I learned from Tom and his two partners and every all the managers that work there that were just wonderful people is that just because you have rank just because you own a company just because you're a creative director you know to, to bring it into this reality doesn't mean you have all the answers sometimes you know the person who's the lowest on the totem pole has an answer and what the wolf organization was really good at doing was opening that up so that everybody in that company knew that and everybody treated everybody in that company with the utmost respect and when I go to some of these creative companies that is not what I see and it's it's disappointing because everybody who comes to work should be treated with respect and dignity and if they've got an idea it should be heard but unfortunately in a lot of these companies uh, people are so busy and so disorganized they just never get a chance to do that so to me that's really one of the core values that any company particularly one that claims to be creative needs to instill in their people hmm. uh, that, that's my point of view yeah I just want to go back to something that you said Chris about the side hustle and for me you know I, I came from a full-time job where I was designing on the side and the reason why that started was not to pursue something that I was passionate about. I think a lot of people do that, but for me it was empowerment. I felt like I was completely, I had lack of control over the course of my career in the job that I was in. Um, I was being poorly managed, and I felt like my say didn't count. And mm. so I wanted to start a business to um, kind of regain some of that feeling of, being in control or empowered by something. Um, another word maybe for empowerment is autonomy. Like you didn't mm -hmm. feel like you have a say in how you, what you could do, how you would do it, and it was right. being dictated to you. And you're a millennial, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Ben, what are, how old are you again? 30. You're 30 years old, so Ben's 30. And if you, you've got a company full of millennials, you got to be thinking about autonomy. Daniel Pink, author of the, A Whole New Mind. Is that Daniel Pink? He talks about this a lot, that key, key things to helping to create and cultivate cultures, autonomy, mastery, and giving sense of purpose. Mm. So you're missing one of the key components there, and I'm sure mastery and purpose wasn't there either. They usually right. come together, right? Yep. Okay. Um, and so to kind of tie this back to our company, there are a lot of creative companies out there. And so you're sitting here thinking, looking around to the person to your left or right, and you're wondering, man, I don't want to let it go down that dark rabbit hole where things become really toxic and there's all these negative symptoms that I was just talking about earlier. And where does it go wrong? How does it go wrong? And here's how it went wrong for me. Maybe you can map this along with your own story. For me, where it went wrong was we started to grow. And of course, my breach of friends that I knew that I could hire was starting to become smaller and smaller because I've exploited and exhausted all those resources. So when you start to hire people outside of your friend network, this is typically where it goes wrong. And as I alluded to or pointed out earlier, was when I put greater value on the person's talent and not who they were as a person and their values, when we interviewed, we had no tests in place to understand what their beliefs and values were. 
we, we have many tests today to help filter out people who either see things the way we do and share our values and beliefs or they don't. And the people that don't, regardless of how talented they are, they don't get through the net. And so Kira and I talk about this before. What does it mean to have core values? And Kira, the way you said it was perfect. It's, it means like we have, we have to hire or fire based on our core values. So when you have these core values, it's not just so that you can have them put up on a wall so that you can feel good about, you know, when, when you give corporate tours and people come by and it's like, well, those are amazing corporate values. These are things that you have to live and breathe by. So you hire based on your values and you have to consequently fire based on those values too. So when somebody doesn't fit in, you kind of have to give them an opportunity, I think, to see like, here are the values, here's where you need to work on. And if they don't want to meet those challenges or adopt, then they need to find another job. And it was a very tough process. You know, I'm a creative person. I'm not a, I didn't, I don't, I don't have like an MBA. So I'm not sitting here. It's like Johnny's going, Mary's going. It's, you know, soul sucking to go and get rid of people. And the process was very slow and painful. Here, you know, you witnessed it. You were there for me along the way, kind of coaching me through it. But it took about a year and a half to cycle through everybody that wasn't going to work out. They either quit or they're kind of asked to go and find another place to work at. And so once we got that, let me tell you the benefits. It's almost as if you have a brand new company. And what I didn't realize was before is I like to move really fast. And with people who weren't aligned with my own values, it was I was feeling like dragging my foot through like really thick mud. It was really hard to move. And I would put in all this energy and kind of look back in three, six, nine months and realize we had barely moved at all. But once the company was purged of everybody that didn't share my beliefs and values, we were moving really fast. And today uh, I have two amazing creative directors, Greg and Matthew. And when I have an idea, these guys just grab the idea and they start running with it. They come back to me with more ideas. And that is very, um, I don't know, it just that it fuels my fire. I feel like I can lead this team and this team can go really far. They, they not only have the creative talent, but they share my a, a desire to embrace and drive change. That's one of our values. So they're, they're very comfortable with new things. So every time I come in, I tell them, here's the new thing. They don't push back. They don't fight it. And so I feel like we can innovate and move really quickly. And one thing that I do tell them is this, is that we're going to make lots of decisions. Some of them will be wrong, and that's totally okay. And you guys don't need to look at it like, well, Chris started this thing three months ago. He's already moved on to something else because what I'm doing is I'm trying lots of ideas. They're not all going to work. So one thing that I set up from the top to the bottom is it's, you know, we want to say that it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. We will never fire somebody because they made a mistake. Now, if you make a re- the mistake repeatedly, now that's an issue because you never learn from it. So that's the thing too, like in large corporations or even in creative companies, you'll see this thing where people don't want to make mistakes. They use the same tricks in Photoshop. They animate everything the same way in Illustrator. Oh, I'm sorry, in After Effects. They shoot the same way. It's because it's safe and it's reliable and it's dependable and you're not get fired for it. Yeah, I'd like to speak to that a little bit because I know that there are all sorts of companies here. I'd like to talk about another company that I work for that has a set of core values, but they're a little different than Chris's. Because I think, again, the the secret to this is making it consistent with what you believe. I work uh, for a company and worked for a number of years called Space Junk in Columbus, Ohio, and they're really good at what they do. And the two owners there, uh, Rob and Mike and all the people there, the creative people and so on and so forth, um, they are very innovative in the way that they build their business. You know, they started off going um, direct to businesses just because of the way it broke out. They don't like to move as fast as Chris because it it doesn't fit their culture. Uh, They take a little more time to think about things. Failure there is okay creatively, but as they grow their business, Um, They like to have a lot of information, and that works really well for them. Uh, Where Chris doesn't need a lot of information, he does tend to move really fast, and he uh, can jump around a lot. Like he and I have a project we've been working on for three and a half years, and I think we're like maybe 75% there. 85, I'll give you an update, it's 85. 85, I'll give you an update. 
So it's not necessary that you have a company like Chris Doe's company. What's necessary is you have a company that fits you. And in Ohio, Mike and Rob have done a great job of creating, with the help of Andrew and Mike Beaumont and, and the, the staff there, they've done a great job of building a company that not only fits their values, but fits the values of people that are Midwesterners. And they do really, really well with what they do, and they're really good at what they do. So I know a lot of you look at Chris because he's been successful and he's won Emmys and, and all this and that, and that's like cool for him. But you have to remember that his, don't copy him necessarily. That's a mistake. Sit down and figure out what your own company values are, mm. what your values are, and then build your company around that and you'll be successful. Because if you're not willing uh, to fail, like Chris is, and I'll be honest with you, most businesses aren't, it's high risk. Uh, and, and you take his approach, you're, <laughs> you're going to be disappointed. You're going to, you, you know, you'll be staying up late at night. Uh, so right. I just want to throw that out. That's, what I people are hearing is you, and I know they respect you and they should, but I'm saying, having worked with a lot of different companies, everybody's values are a bit different. The right. ones that are successful are built I want to bring up something to you because I don't honestly know the answer to this. Okay. One of the complaints, and I always use this as an analogy, it's like creatives don't like to do cat food commercials because they're they're viewed as, or Swifter, let's take, because we used to do Swifter. Here. We still do. We still do. Well, maybe I should do it. Maybe I should make <laughs> let's up. use another brand. Let's go to cat food. <laughs> <laughs> cat food's good. Whiskers. Is, and I've seen a lot of ways of doing this. There's, if you're a creative, and Ben spoke to being a creative in a shop where you didn't have autonomy, I think there's a certain amount of that work that you have to do. But I think good companies um, then provide other avenues for their creatives because the, the reality of doing art for money is is that you don't have full creative control and that all the jobs aren't terribly interesting but somebody has to do them and if companies can like Chris's they've got film gear here they've got a lot of opportunities for creatives to you know explore other avenues they're supported in other words in their endeavors that aren't doing cat food commercials and I think the other thing he's laughing. I, I want to just interject. Well, well, As you say that, Andrew's like t taking the red out right now. I'm like, Andrew, put it back. Put it back right now. Go ahead. Yeah. And I, and, and I think that um, the other thing that you can do if you're an owner is you move the cat food commercials around. You don't have, you know, two people who get stuck with them every time. You know, that, you, that everybody kind of recognizes they aren't the most creative things in the world to do. And so you move them around amongst your staff so everybody knows that, you know, every third round, I'm going I'm to do that. But I will, I will quote Kyle Cooper here. We were talking about Kyle earlier, yeah. who's, if you don't know, he's probably the greatest title designer in the world and one of the most creative people I've ever worked for. And his opinion is, if you call yourself a creative, you should be able to make a spectacular cat food commercial. So don't walk in here in my office and complain because you're doing a cat food commercial. And there's also some wisdom in that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to second that. I don't think there's anything such thing as a uncreative job. There's just uncreative people. You got to make it, make it something interesting. If you have a $15 budget to do something, try to figure out a creative solution around that. My whole thing isn't really about having a million dollar project where sky's the limit. And Kerry, maybe you can talk about this a little bit, but the book Art of Fear, the experiment that was done with 100 artists where they split the group into two and they get 50 artists, uh, the parameters and make as much art as you can. And the right. other one, it says, just make your masterpiece. And what right. happened to that? The masterpiece people obviously always win, right? No. No. <laughs> they don't. So many, many of the people that were given the parameters to make your masterpiece finished nothing. Whereas the group that was just told to make as much work as you can, right. some of them pr produce quite a few pieces of great art. And so that just goes to show you, you know, if you're trying to make this penultimate thing, it just doesn't work out. Well, I think, I, I think, you know, to speak to that, I was joking with you a little bit there, is the, uh, I think most great art has some sort of time frame. <laughs> if you can just, if you don't have a finish date, then, then you're, you kind of, you have a problem, right? I mean, because yeah. I remember we once had somebody who should remain nameless who used to keep the staff here till five o'clock in the morning working on projects because they needed six pixels moved. Yeah. And I remember the staff came to you and said, we're not doing this anymore. We have to do this again. We quit. Right? Yep. Same, same problem. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to open it up to our audience that are watching on Facebook Live here. You guys, if you guys have any questions, hit me up. I'll start reading your questions now. If you have any questions around the topic of how to create and cultivate a creative culture within a company, 
let us know and we'll do our best to answer your questions, okay? So start start up with that. And at the end of this, prior to the end of the hour here at nine o'clock, I'm gonna tell you some tips and things that you can do, things that I've learned, actionable things, you know, and we'll also let you guys know how you can get in touch with Kira and I if you need help with things like cultivating a creative culture within your company. Well, Mr. Malpe, Malpe has a question. He does? He I does. See that. Um, he's basically asking how can an employee approach their boss to, uh, you know, with a culture problem? Tips and oh, tricks. Oh, that's okay. Very, right. very, this is straight up to care. Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think when employees come with culture issues or any issues for that matter, that they have to have some possible solutions. And they can't be at, like attacking other people. I mean, that's always a problem for bosses. And, and, and so I think you have to judge your boss. I mean, some bosses are going to be able to hear that and some aren't. And if, you, if you're willing to accept the downside of the fact that your boss may not be willing to hear this, then you, know, then you need to, to soldier on. Uh, but I think if you always, with owners and bosses, if you always posit this as to how it's getting in the way of the company operating well and making money and doing well, they'll hear it. If it's just, I don't like Susie, she plays her radio too loud next to me and I can't concentrate, nah, you're not going to get too far. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I have a slightly different... Well, then, no, that's, that's why we're all here that. together. Okay, so let me switch cameras here. So to the question of what can you do as a, an employee within a company and you feel like the culture isn't what you want it to be and it's not working for you, I hate to say it like this, but you just need to quit. <laughs> That's it. I'm just going to be really straight about it. I think you just need to quit uh, because I don't like employees who sit around and complain all the time. And it's not a good fit. That doesn't mean that they're not good human beings or that we're evil or anything. It's just we're not a good fit. And you got to go find a company that shares your beliefs and values, just like companies have to find people who share their values. So you mentioned Kyle Cooper. He runs his company very differently than I do, and I run it differently than the next guy down the street. And so I'm interviewing you but you should be interviewing the company as well. So you can ask them, what are your beliefs, values? What are your core values here? Do you know what your values are? I want to comment right? on this. Okay, so my, my advice is quick, <clears throat> get the heck out of Dodge, go find a company where you can feel fulfillment, where you can thrive and you feel like the leaders there have got your back, that they're there in service of you and not the other way around. Okay, so for all of you out there who don't own companies, you've now heard advice from somebody who owns not only this company but a few others and has done very, very well. My experience when I have this discussion is that the average worker in one of these companies has to keep their job for a while. So I don't disagree with Chris, but I think it takes a little time. It's easy to say when you forget what it was like to be 25 and have you know a rent payment, a car payment two babies in the room that need fed. It's easy to say, well, just quit and go somewhere else. It's not always that easy. So one of the things I would say is start looking around. Take your time. Plan your exit strategy. I don't disagree that you should leave, but I'm not sure you should walk in and just <laughs> You're right, hold on, hold on. There's, just there's some steps. There's some steps in between. <laughs> but this is good because we're talking about culture because this is where a lot of people really mistake it is that this is a good example of how successful owners look at the world differently than someone who's, you know, creative director number three. They, you know, owners live in a different world than you do, and so you have, that's part of the culture. You know, you have to take that into consideration. I think the thing is, if you are looking for a new position, get clear about what you want. I hear this all the time. I see people get fired a lot. And sometimes I have to participate in that. And I can tell you that 95% of the time, it's just a bad cultural mix. And many times I know of another company they can go apply to work for mm -hmm. where they'll be a better fit. It's just that simple. So don't get down on yourself and think it's you. It's just it's a bad fit. So when you're interviewing for jobs, you know, ask questions about that. Not, don't ask about how much vacation time you get there in that first interview. <laughs> That's probably not too good. But you, you'll get a real sense by walking around and talking to people and you'll see what's going on and ask yourself, is this a place I want to come every day for 10 hours? If it's not, move on. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to add a little bit to that. Ben, you want to say something? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, you know, everybody contributes to company culture. It's, it's, it's something that needs to be guided by your boss, but uh, 
everybody contributes. And so my advice would be, instead of confronting a boss and saying, this needs to change, um, what can you do to make it better? The example that you guys used about you know going bowling once a month, how hard is it to just to say hey why don't we all go bowling and put it put it together, you know? So I would ask yourself what can you do? What can you control about you know yourself and your position um, to help you know improve that the culture? Yeah, and I've seen this happen too. Believe it or not, in really oppressive uh, companies where the culture is totally toxic the employees start to form teams because they have to survive together. It's kind of some survivor's instinct, right? Stockholm syndrome, I don't know what it is, they bond and then they grow. But then leadership and the, all the people that manage them don't see that and so they're a company within a company. And it's for me looking from the outside in and, and Kier's totally right for pointing out the, the many things that I'm not taking into consideration, but it, it's gonna kill you, it's gonna suck your life away. And if I'm speaking to millennials or anybody else, I don't care if you're in your 40s or your 50s, you only got one life to live. You got to live for the for now, and you, you're gonna, you know, you don't know how long you're gonna be alive on this planet. I just think life is too short, especially if you decided to pursue a career of creativity and self-expression. Go find a place where you can thrive. And I'll make the analogy. Let me flip the camera here so that we're not just staring at you, Ben. Let me make this analogy here. You guys have all been in relationships that have not worked out and you knew it wasn't gonna work out, all the signs were there. And for whatever reason, just your, maybe it's the, the fear of being consistent, like you just wanna make it work, you don't wanna be a failure at the relationship, you don't wanna quit, you just look at the positives and not the negatives, but ultimately when that relationship doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that you're a bad human being or that they're terrible, it's just not a good fit for each other. And then you're bummed out, you feel like a total loser, and you'll never find anybody again, and then you meet this new wonderful person and you've grown and you've, have, uh, you've matured and you're kind of uh, more self-aware and you meet this person and it's a wonderful relationship and then you're happy. And I, I don't know, I, I just wanna be a champion for living a happy life, whatever that means. If money is not important to you, especially, pursue that, what that makes you happy and, and then you, you'll be like, what is it, wealthy or rich? You'll live richly. I just want to sound like a credit card ad now. There's like a bank ad. Literally. Aaron, what do you want to say? Uh, so I had a question about like, is company culture something that is always the same or does it kind of adapt and change over time? Because I know like I'm also a millennial and I feel like I have kind of different things I want to do with my life, you know, kind of a renaissance man type of thing. I like making beats. I like surfing. I like editing videos, I like finance. So sometimes, is there a way that, or is that supposed to happen with company culture? Is it supposed to kind of adapt to my changes and we change together and grow together, right? Like innovative companies are supposed to change, but their company culture stays the same? I'm gonna let Kier take this first. <laughs> Kier? I, thanks, boss. <laughs> Well, you know, to answer your question, I think that it, <clears throat> it's not reasonable to ask the company, wherever you're working, to supply all, to meet all your needs. I mean, you have to make some effort. You know, they're probably not going to have a surfing break, for example, you know, at most of the companies. But I think it's taking, uh, I think a lot of people don't, just don't take responsibility for their own lives. You know, Eric Fromm, F-R-O-M-M, -M, I believe I'm the world's worst speller. You can find his books on the internet. You know, most people do not have, do not live their own lives. They live somebody else's life. And what Chris is talking about, and I use this analogy privately, but I use it publicly, all of us that own businesses and do what I do and what he does, we're pirates sailing on the seven seas. We're willing to fail, we're willing to change, we're willing to take, you know, big risks. And, and I can say for myself, I always tease Chris. I said the only thing he's missing is a big is a big uh, failure, but I'm not missing. I got a couple big failures <laughs> in my background, um, and it's just you have to be willing to take responsibility for your own life because it's really the only one you got. I know that's kind of trite, but it's true. So if you stay somewhere and you're doing work that you hate, you know you're really doing damage to yourself. If uh, you know, you have to be willing to to go out and and do whatever it is that you want to do and and give it a try. I was. Uh, a friend of mine asked me to participate in a, a 
a charity he has and I was the people said well tell us about yourself and I told him all the things I did I've been a social worker in the inner city I work for the job corps I had a marketing business I had an advertising business I've been published in Harper's I optioned a screenplay I do what I do now and someone said and I, this person I found out later had gone into business for themselves when they were 20 and 50 years later they were still in the same business he said well you've had a kind of a, a crazy life I said no I just had the life I wanted I never I never and, and I might be selfish on my part, but I've never like not done what I wanted to do. And I've paid a price for that, but in the end, I have no regrets. I don't look back and go, oh gosh. Like I'm a terrible illustrator. Chris taught me all, all I know <laughs> about how to use Illustrator. And I've got three children's books up on the internet because that's what I wanted to do. Right. Are they very good? I don't know. I think I make four bucks a month, all told. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is I did them for my grandson because I wanted to. And that's just what I do. Right. Okay, I'm going to give you my quick take on it. And we're going yeah, yeah. to do some of the questions sure. off the internet. So, Aaron, I, I don't know the exact policy, but Google hires you <clears throat> based on what your personal interests are. So that's a company that understands that you have to be motivated by other things than just work. I, I forget what it's called, but they want you to go and spend, I don't know, two months out of the year pursuing your thing because they know that if you develop yourself, if you grow as a human being, you're going to bring that back into the company and launch new projects. And a lot of the projects that came out from Google came from these kind of side endeavors. So that's a company who understands and promotes and champions side hustle. So that's about understanding what the corporation company values because in the tech space, there's a giant competition for the, this brain trust, right? So that you can't just offer people money. You have to offer them something totally different. Well, let's get back to the questions here. Aiden wants to follow up with your cat food thing, Kieran, <laughs> the whole cat food commercial. He's like, do you have any suggestions on how to incentivize creativity when dealing with a cat food commercial? How to, how to, and what was Incentivize that? creativity. In, in, incentivize. Incentivize creativity. In I, other words, here's how he says, in other words, how do you prevent simple push through and corner cutting compromise when a project isn't particularly exciting like a cat food commercial well i think again i go back to what kyle cooper taught me and what you mentioned chris is i think um if you're really creative you should be able i mean i should is not a word i like using much but i think a real creative person like imagine you're if chris doe was doing that cat food commercial and you were doing it or if kyle cooper were doing it you know that it would be good you just know it because that's the only kind of work they do so I think it's really up to the creative person to bring something extra. Remember, the client is paying for this, whether you like it or not, and you're getting paid because the client's paying, and that you owe your best. You know, I, I'm a big believer. I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where you know people work their butts off, you know, and didn't always make a ton of money. And and the, what I learned there is, if you're taking the guy's money, you owe him 110 percent, and that's what you owe in a cat food commercial. It's not about you, you know. It's not about you. It's about you know the pride in your work so here's the next question it's coming in from Andre hey Andre what's up long time no speak man he says many companies are favoring the flat structures within their organization rather than traditional job titles he says is this actually a more democratic approach to innovation or just a recipe for uncertainty and constant jockeying for position within groups my current view is that when a company is flat that's a red flag I feel like there's always hierarchy and what they are really saying is that you're not going to be part of it well, I, I think I have an opinion on that. I think that everyone who's working somewhere needs to know who their boss is. Now, bosses may be a, too strong a word, but you know, so, you, you have to report to someone and you have to be accountable and they have to be accountable to you. And I think it's healthy. Uh, when I go to companies and I ask, do you know who you report to? And everybody kind of looks around the room. I know this company's in trouble. Because you just can't, you know, you need you need some chain of command. Mm -hmm. Now you don't need to be running, you know, a, a, a military operation, but people feel comfortable if they know who their boss is and who they have to please. I, I, that's what I believe, and uh, you know, that's my belief. I'm going to move into this segment now and talk about some of the things that you can do, things that have helped me personally, and very kind of actionable things you can do and things I've learned. One, one thing that I needed to do was to, to let go of control. And I'm a little bit of an organization freak. I like things to look a certain way. You can't tell it from this office, but I do. And what I realized is that if I let some messiness and chaos happen and people to personalize their space, even though aesthetically it's not what I want, 
it was actually something that was very beneficial to the people here. So they came in and they started to decorate the place and to uh, one one designer that worked for me, she would have like a whole nail polish salon right in there. Now that's not my thing, but it's like it made her happy and seeing her happy made me happy. And she was an amazing rock star designer when she was working here. So even though it was against my aesthetic, what was more important to me, my, my value was that people were able to express themselves to be individuals in a space. Um, the other thing that I learned from reading Tony's book, uh, Delivering Happiness, is to rearrange the furniture, do space planning, to encourage interaction. So one thing that he did was in, in one of their warehouses or one of their office spaces, there were three ways you can get into the building, the main entrance and two side doors. So he put a sign up on the doors and say, please use the main entrance only. So what was happening was there was hundreds of people working there, but many of them never talked to each other. They don't know each other's names. By going through the front door, there were these encounters at the beginning of the day, during lunch, and at the end of the day. And I love these little suggestions because they don't really cost money. It just takes some time and effort to think about it, right? And they do lots of fun cultural things and they have their developers write some software and, and ask trivia questions about people that worked at the office. So every time you logged into your computer, you had to answer something. So you'd learn a fun fact of Mr. Ben Burns or Cure, something like that. The other thing was about how to, to give your staff autonomy to empower people to act in the best interest of the company. That's something I learned from you, Kier. And something that we, what would happen is people would come up to me all the time and say, Chris, what do you want to do about X, Y, and Z? And it could range from how much should we bid on a job all the way down to where should we tell Kier to park today? <laughs> and that was really frustrating to me, right? And literally that was what was happening. Nobody wanted to make a decision. So I knew something was wrong with the way I was a leader and as a boss. And so I wanted everybody to say, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm going to share with you what I think. And then now I want to have you act as if. I want to empower you to make these decisions and it's okay if you make the wrong decision. You know, as long as somebody doesn't die or irreparable damage happens, we're, we're fine, okay? Um, one thing that we've instituted, and this is something that I learned from bringing on Greg Gunn, Reza Rizzoli, and Casey Hunt, when they came over, they said, you know, something that we do at our company is we have a mandatory break at five o'clock. And we just encourage people to get out of their chair go play Call of Duty, go play ping pong or do something for 15 minutes. It's a mandatory break period and out comes from the loudspeaker blaring music. Every time you're here at five o'clock, this is what happens. And this was a wonderful, very inexpensive thing for us to do to get people to go and talk to one another, to get just away from the machine, take off their headphones and talk to another real human being. Again, low cost ideas that can have really big impact on your company and your organization. Um, what we all also want to do is to uh, encourage um, instability, a little weirdness. Um, because if we want people to not take themselves too seriously, to embrace change, to be comfortable with failure, we have to take ourselves out of a comfort zone. So we had instituted like goofy dress up days. And that was a really weird thing at the very beginning. We would ask everybody to come in with your pajamas. And my interns were thinking they're going to get punked, that they're the only ones who are going to show up to work in their pajamas. This is a true story. Okay? So sure enough, on the day we designate as pajama day, everybody came into the office dressed in their pajamas and their flip-flops or whatever. People were looking really goofy and strange. But there was power in that. Like we would look at each other and we would laugh and there was a connection. And guess what? The one person who thought he was being punked didn't dress up. Now who was the weirdo? He was a weirdo. And then he went to his car because he actually had his outfit mm -hmm. just in case. So then he put it on. Those are the kinds of things that we encourage people to do. Things that encourage team bonding. We've gone on hikes together and backpacking trips uh, to do physical exercise. We, we do it as a group and it, we sweat together. And I think it takes off a little bit of this idea that you're the boss and, and you're different than us. And we do things together and they see you sweat, they see you ugly, they see you in all those ways. And I think it takes um, you down a peg so that we're all kind of seeing things eye to eye. Those are some things that I wrote down. Maybe you guys in the audience, you guys have some tips yourself in terms of things that you've instituted at your company that have really helped to improve your company culture. Aaron, did you want to say something? Uh, actually, yeah. Did, you, did I look like I wanted to say something? I don't know. You had that look. 
Well, I, I was thinking, um, I don't know if the first question I asked, I was kind of still jumbled in my mind what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. But then what you just said, like, that's what I was trying to say. I feel like I have to be one guy at work and then another guy at home. There's like a divide between work and my life. And I don't know, I think a lot of people feel that way. And it'd be cool if somehow the company culture could somehow mesh everything together so I'm just like one guy. Because Okir wants to I have a question to ask. You can keep the camera on. Well, I'll keep it with you for a second. Go ahead. Okay. The basic reason is, I mean, the thing to think about is what is it what is it about the you away from work that you feel you can't bring here? Is it something so disturbing? <laughs> you know, so no, perverted? That's a good question. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just in my head that I have to be different at work. Well, I found that if you, the more you can be yourself wherever you are, and it's very difficult because a lot of us aren't quite sure who our self is. You know? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the more comfortable your life is. So I would, you know, my advice would be to try to Try to get in touch with who that is and why you feel that way and try it out. Experiment a little bit. Actually, know? I think I just thought of it. It's the side hustle. Okay. Right? Like, I have all these ideas for movies and YouTube episodes. I'd love to shoot little skits. Mm-hmm. And then I brainstorm with my friends on the weekends and we go out and buy the gear we need. Mm-hmm. But I I feel like I have to be that guy on the weekend and then I'm the Christo doing school stuff on the weekday. And those are two different guys. Well, I don't think they need to be. I think, I mean, to me, uh, you should talk to me after because I have someone who's got a studio who's going to do YouTube stuff. But, I, I mean, I think to me, I would bring those ideas up. The way Chris and I have come up with a lot of ideas together is, you know, I'll call him on the phone or I'll see him and say, hey, man, I just saw this. Maybe we should do this. Or he came back from China and said, hey, remember that story you wrote? I think we can sell that in China. I think you just bring it up because you never know. What you're denying yourself is the input of all the people here that are creative. Which I'd love to have, actually. Just bring it up. Just say, hey, man, I got, a, I got an idea for a YouTube thing. I mean, maybe it's something that that has legs, as it were, you know? Mm-hmm. And you try it. I remember when Greg and Reza were working on a show for one of the networks. Uh, they sent it to me, you know, in the, in the, I think it was the storyboard thing. And, you know, I gave my comments and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I think I had a little bit to add to that. Not, not, not terribly much, but a little bit. And so they benefited from that, and I benefited from seeing how they did it because they're like really good at what they do. And that's why you got to bring that stuff up all the time. I never limit myself to my job, job. Like I could talk to you all for the next 20 minutes about seeing Bob Dylan and the Rolling Stones Friday night at the desert trip and the technology. I mean, you know, you know just bring it up. Just bring it up. It's the only person holding you back is you. Uh, yeah, I think so. Just bring it up, man. All That's right. all. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'll, I, I'll add a little bit to to the answer to that in that if you can align some of your personal interests and hobbies with what you think the company wants, that's a win-win because then you get to pursue what it is that you love to do and you get to help the company move forward. And anytime you can contribute in that way, you're going to create value for yourself. So instead of me sitting around saying, Aaron, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, you bring up an idea. It's like, Chris, I've been thinking about something that feels like something that we're trying to do here at the company and I've also got this side thing like so what if we did this and then I have to step back and recognize wow this guy is contributing new ideas and he's adding to that that's what Matthew Greg and some of the other people at blind do for example there's a designer who works here his name is Sang, and I don't know what he's doing every day I never even tell him what to do but he's always doing something he's managing the web project he'll check in for me from time to time and that makes me really happy because I see this guy who's a really quiet introverted guy who was my former student and intern here, blossom into this guy who's gonna be a leader. And I like that and I encourage that. So I never have to send him a to-do list. He makes his own to-do list. And that's pretty exciting for me as a boss, okay? Uh, There's a couple other things in here. Daniel, what if a company culture creates an echo chamber? How to prevent that? And somebody asked, like, what is an echo chamber? <laughs> yeah, That's a complex one. Boss, I'm tagging you. Boom. Here, you're in. What, it, what, it, what is an echo chamber? I have no clue. I know what an echo chamber is, but I'm not sure what he's referring to. Okay. I'll take a guess. All right. I think it's probably, um, you know, just kind of reiterating or always agreeing with the boss or, you know, that kind of thing where it's... Everybody just nods and agrees with the boss. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's... That's correct, yeah. Yeah. Well, if that's what you mean, I mean, then basically kind of why are you there 
Uh, that's 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 another way of saying run, run, run as fast as you can. I mean, if if that suits you, fine. But it's because a lot of bosses. I mean, the reality of it is, a lot of bosses aren't open to new ideas. And if you're in a place like that and you're creative, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. They're just not. And it, this is basically, you know. Uh, you know, I'm the boss, so I'm smarter than you, and I'm not really that interested in what you have to say because, like, we figured it out. And going back to the example of bowling, the problem that Chris and I discovered we made is we made the decision, he and I. We didn't involve anyone else because we thought we were, you know, smarter than the other guys or we knew more about what the company needed when, in reality, we should have walked out onto the floor in the, in the old building where all the, you know, the designers and animators were and said, look, we want to do something for you to... to to, to tell you how happy we are with you, what should it be? But we didn't do that. We huddled in the office, right? And we figured it out. And if you're working for people like that and they're not willing to change, I mean, there's not much you can do except, you know, fill out your resume and start looking. Right. So I'm going to add a little to this uh, with what Gab Gabrielle said. She says, here's what we did at EPOS. Every week we had a group meeting to hear suggestions of what everyone wanted incorporated within our group and client interactions. I had someone make a healthy lunch for all of us and we all, all ate together, shared stories. We went to Disneyland every fall as a group. We celebrated everyone's birthday with a party and games. We had field trips, etc. So that's exactly echoing what you said. Yeah, absolutely. So Daniel Christian, that was an echo chamber of Kier's idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> all right. absolutely. Okay. It's been almost an hour, and that's a lot of time for us to be spending on our podcast and Facebook Live. I don't want to close this without letting people know who's tuning into this episode, like how to get in touch with us. Uh, so Kira and I, like I mentioned earlier on, we have combined resources and forces, if you will, to create another company just to help companies just like you. It's called Second Shift, and it's super unofficial, but there's a way to get in touch with us, and I'll tell you all the ways you can get in touch with us if you need help, okay? So the easiest way is to reach out to Kier directly. It's Kier, K-E-I-R-M-C, at Verizon.net. I'll say that one more time. It's Kier, K-E-I-R-M-C, at Verizon.net. You can look him up on LinkedIn and send him a message. I'm sure he'll accept your friend request. You can also call me at 310-314-1618. That's my office number, and you guys can reach out. You can hit me up on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm everywhere. And my handle is at the Chris Doe. And I'll add, if you're gonna give your if you're gonna willing to give your phone number out, so am I. Are you no, this is my office number, Kira. Well, that's okay. Do you want crazies calling you? I, I don't care. <laughs> you don't care. As long, as long as you're not trying to sell me ink toner. Um, <laughs> you can get me directly at my cell. It's 310-413. Two five seven seven. Can you say it one more time? Yeah, three one zero four one three two five seven seven. That's from my radio background. All right. <laughs> so I'm gonna wrap up and close out this session, and say first of all, thank you for everybody that's tuning on Facebook Live, and our guest from Richmond, Virginia, Ben Burns. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for Great. coming in. And Kira, thanks for coming in today. And I think next time when we, we kind of get together, do another podcast, maybe we'll talk about one of the other things that we can help companies with. Can you kind of highlight a few of those things? Yeah, what we, you know, one of the things is like how we would actually work with you. You know, we come in and evaluate your culture, you know, your look at your staff, talk to them, come up with, you know, kind of where you are, where, where you are and where your staff is and where you'd like to be. And then, you know, we would talk about how to get there, strategies, objectives. And also we can talk about marketing, you know, how to maximize, you know, do your, your SEO and all those sorts of things. Uh, you know, we would kind of tailor it to you. So it really doesn't matter whether you have a half a dozen employees or 300 employees. We can scale this up and down. And uh, you know, anyone who's in the creative world, and if you're someone who isn't in the creative world, but you understand that design thinking is the is the the newest way to run your business, and you know, give us a call and reach out, and let's talk, and you know, see if we can work together. Uh, somebody made a joke. Tim's like, I sell toner. I will call you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not buying. Don't want any. <laughs> All right, that's it for me, guys. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us and spending a part of your day with me. Really appreciate it. And I want to talk a little bit about how we're able to do this. So the future is made possible by some of our lovely sponsors and partners, one of which is Pond5.com. If you guys need to get some stock footage, After Effects presets, Pond5 is the place to go. And the future is also made possible by 
Matthew Encina, Greg Gunn, Scott Rothstein, Nicole Wasserman, and the entire Blind staff, which I would not be able to do fun stuff like this and spend the day with you without their support because they run the business for me. The man behind the scene, the man with the plan, Aaron Zakelli. He's responsible for recording this, engineering it, doing the sound design, the editing. He pretty much makes this podcast possible. You can find him online as well. And of course, I have to thank Adam Sanborn, the person who composed and wrote the piece of music that you're listening to. You can find him at adamsanborn.com. Thank you.